Welcome to LifeBeat. I'm your host, flying solo today, Chris Gast, Rights Life Michigan's Director of Communication and Education. For a long time now, LifeBeat has been a uh, two-person podcast or three persons for some interviews. Uh, this year, since we're moving to a weekly format of the podcast, I thought it'd be great to bring back uh, monthly how we used to do the podcast, which was just me talking into a microphone. Granted, that can get pretty boring sometimes, especially after many months of doing it and bringing a second person in is great. But we kind of, when we talk about news and we have conversation, we really lose an opportunity to dive deeply into some issues. And so I wanted to revive that. And for today, we're going to talk about, since it is the 48th Memorial of Roe versus Wade and Doe versus Bolton, uh, we're going to talk about those cases today. And specifically, I want to kind of give you the inside story of these cases. Sadly, a lot of people aren't told this information or don't know it. The media doesn't like to talk about it. Judges generally don't like to talk about it in such a way that people understand just how illegitimate these decisions were. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Of course, there's a lot of things we could uh, talk about. Uh, I know on the last podcast, we try to make sense of just the 60 million lives that have been lost because of these decisions. Um, but just for today, just sit back and really think about just how terrible these decisions were just as legal decisions and not necessarily the practical effect of uh, death on a scale unimaginable. So um, it was really important that you all know that the fix for Roe versus Wade was in from the very beginning and that the facts of the case, the, the history, the law, the Constitution really is unimportant. What is important is learning how they got the fix in and the steps that they did, the mere fact that they were fixing it uh, is important for you to know so that uh, when someone tries to argue that Roe versus Wade is a legitimate Supreme Court case, no, absolutely not. Not even if it were any other issue would it be conceived of as legitimate. So to start, let's go back in time to 1965 and the case called Griswold versus Connecticut. And what the Supreme Court case uh, was about was contraception. And what the Supreme Court ruled is that married couples have a right to use birth control. Now, uh, Right to Life of Michigan doesn't take a position on birth control uh, for or against, but I think as we read this case, um, just some basic details from it, you'll understand that this was a very bad decision. So uh, this right to privacy that the Supreme Court found was responsible for letting people use uh, birth control in all 50 states for any reason uh, was written by Justice William Douglas. Uh, there is no right to privacy in the United States Constitution. It's not in the Bill of Rights. It's not anywhere in there. Certainly, you have a broad set of individual rights, uh, among them life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness that one could argue implies a certain measure of privacy, but you don't actually have specifically enumerated a right to privacy in the Bill of Rights. So what he wrote, he had to invent this right, is this, quote, the foregoing cases suggest that specific guarantees in the Bill of Rights have penumbras 
formed by emanations from those guarantees that help give them life and substance. Various guarantees create zones of privacy. So that's William Douglas saying that the right to privacy is a penumbra formed by the emanation of the Bill of Rights. Does that make any sense to you? Doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, so what, what's a penumbra? A penumbra is the gray area between light and shadow. So you can't really tell, is this part of the light? Is this part of the shadow? It is the gray area, that, that literal gray area that we often use as a metaphor when uh, we want to make poor decisions usually. Um, this penumbra, this emanation, um, is exactly what it sounds like. It's supposed to be like a gray area that is not really clear, except uh, the, the justice wasn't doing a poetic rumination on the nature of the Constitution and the law. What he was doing is was turning this gray area into an iron-clad, sharp-edged right. In this case, to purchase birth control for married couples. Now, whether you agree with that decision or not, or overall it's the idea of a right to privacy, you know, it's really important here to recognize that this is a gray area. This is a bad decision. Um, a gray area should not become a sharply defined tool that judges can now use to do whatever they want. Uh, judges are supposed to decide laws based on the law. Uh, judges aren't supposed to say there's a gray area here and my personal opinion now determines what's inside the gray area and what's not. So let's fast forward to December 13, 1971, six years later, and it's really important that you keep this date in mind for just a moment. December 13, 1971. That's when Roe versus Wade and Doe versus Bolton were first argued before the court. They eventually had to be re-argued, and so that's why it took two years for the Supreme Court decisions to uh, finally be released. So let's look at kind of what was going on in terms of abortion around that time at the end of 1971. So for a couple years at that point, some states had been legalizing abortion. It was a very small number. Uh, previously, all 50 states banned abortion. And that has been the case uh, starting since about the middle of the 1800s and moving forward. Um, it wasn't that they suddenly decided abortion was wrong in the middle of the 1800s. It was uh, before that the common law generally banned abortion. And the only way you could prove that the, uh, the unborn child was alive was uh, the point of quickening. So an unborn child moves, that's proof of life, and you can't take that life because you have proof of life. Once states started passing actual statutory laws, not just relying on common laws, um, which is the common law is sort of that built-up body of judicial precedents and decisions um, based on a basic set of principles that society broadly agrees on. So with the statutory law, we we're writing down these are specific laws. Uh, and this is explicitly what is and what isn't illegal. And ever since Michigan had a statutory code of laws, uh, abortion has been specifically banned. Moving back to the time just before Roe v. Wade, Doe v. Bolton. 
So there was a push in some of these states to legalize abortion. Uh, that push was starting to slow down. The pro-life movement was becoming organized. And honestly, some people were just horrified, especially by the abortion numbers in New York, because uh, abortion was legalized in New York. A lot of women were traveling, including from Michigan, to New York to have their abortions. And uh, when these states were legalizing abortion, they didn't think that there would be a great many. Um, maybe the advocates pushing it expected that, but uh, sort of the legislators and the lawyers, health officials, doctors, kind of just going along with the flow thought, ah, this is just going to be a little thing. You know, it's not going to be that big of a deal. Well, it was a huge deal. Uh, in fact, the New York legislature began trying to pass bills to protect unborn child uh, children again. They realized that they had open, uh, opened Pandora's box, and this is really bad. Those attempts were vetoed by Governor Nelson Rockefeller. And just as a brief aside, you know, the Rockefeller family loves the idea of population control. They absolutely love it. And uh, we did a great episode at the beginning of the podcast kind of detailing you know, why do these billionaires and these uh, kind of billionaire legacy families become so enamored with population control, like Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, the Rockefellers? Uh, doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, but that's what they do. And so Governor Nelson Rockefeller uh, stymied those efforts. And so that's kind of where it was before Roe versus Wade and Doe versus Bolton were actually decided. In Michigan, they tried to legalize abortion in 1972 with a public vote that got shot down. And so uh, the momentum at the end of the 60s, the early 70s was kind of swinging towards abortion. And then the momentum was starting to swing the other way when people realized just what was going on. So uh, enter the United States Supreme Court. And the lawyers arguing on the abortion side for Roe versus Wade uh, really weren't expecting, um, you know, what they eventually got, but that's what the Supreme Court was willing to deliver to them. Uh, the Supreme Court, the seven judges who voted in favor of Roe versus Wade and Doe versus Bolded, uh, wanted abortion. They really personally wanted it. Now, how can I say that? Um, I mean, the evidence is in exactly what they did, and we're going to get to that um, in a second. And I think you're going to see after I next 10 minutes go through this that it's inarguable that they were purposefully wanting to reach this decision. Um, it was not a decision based on the law. So uh, we have this right to privacy, again, that Griswold versus Connecticut created in 1965, and it's based on penumbras, emanations, and that sort of gobbledygook. Uh, they just decided there's this right to privacy. So they have a big problem here. Uh, what does a right to privacy for married couples to use birth control have to do with killing a child in the womb? There is a leap of logic there. Abortion involves uh, another human being, a third party, um, generally not considered to be part of a right to privacy. So let's fast forward a bit from, again, remember this date, December 13, 1971, which is when Roe versus Wade and Doe versus Bolton were first argued. This is very critical to understand this. So on March 22, 1972, just a few weeks after Roe versus Wade and Dover's Bolton were first argued, 
a Supreme Court case was decided. The decision was released in Eisenstadt versus Baird. And this was a case about the right of unmarried couples to use birth control. Um, this wasn't a privacy, a right to privacy case. This was an equal protection case because unmarried couples said, well, hey, wait, why do married couples get to use birth control? And we don't. That's not equal protection of the law. And the Supreme Court weighed in. Now, listen to what Justice William Brennan put into this decision. This was a line. Quote, if the right to privacy means anything, it is the right of the individual, married or single, to be free from unwarranted governmental intrusion into matters so fundamentally affecting a person as the decision whether to bear or beget a child. Let's repeat a little bit of that. So Justice Brennan wrote that if the right to privacy means anything, it means the decision of a person whether to bear or beget a child. Now, this was a case about contraception. Contraception only involves begetting a child. Once the child is conceived, uh, you can no longer beget the child. The child is there. The child is alive. Then it's a question of bearing a child. So uh, what you see there is the justice who was just fresh from hearing the arguments in Roe versus Wade and Doe versus Bolton, um, who wanted to legalize abortion, uh, needed to make a needed to complete this sort of logical leap, this logical gap between this right to privacy involving birth control. And so what did he do? He wrote bear in there. Now, th that has nothing to do with the decision at hand. Uh, one law clerk working at the court at a time said, we all saw that sentence and we smiled about it. Everyone understood what that sentence was doing. Uh, so they were right there. That's gloating about the fact that they took a case about contraception and begetting children and wrote bearing children uh, into this right to privacy. So now you complete this sort of hook, uh, you complete, you, you cover paper over this gap between Griswold versus Connecticut and Roe versus Wade and doing it through precedent. Well, what is a precedent? A precedent is supposed to be the court makes a decision in this case, and then that precedent is applied to future cases. Uh, precedent is important, so we know that laws are predictable, and they are not simply arbitrary in people's personal opinions. But what they did there is, even though th they were working on both these cases at the same time, they wrote a precedent into Eisenstadt versus Baird after they already decided what they wanted to do in Roe versus Wade and Doe versus Bolton so that they could then, in the decision of Roe versus Wade and Doe versus Bolton, cite this quote-unquote precedent that they just thought up. That is corruption. That is the definition of judicial corruption. Um, you shouldn't be able to do that. You can't create a precedent... Uh, for a case. But, I mean, arguably all cases are creating precedent, but you can't cite a precedent that you just created. It's it's not logical. It doesn't make any sense. It's, it's fundamentally dishonest. That's what it is. Eisenstadt was a case, again, about the 14th Amendment and equal protection. It didn't have to do specifically with the right to privacy, but they just threw that in there anyway. And think about that quote, really, the beginning of that quote, if the right to privacy means anything, so what Justice William Brennan there 
big fan of abortion was saying that is if the right to privacy means anything at its most basic level what is privacy it's killing a child and using contraception that's the baguette part but William Brennan believes that the most fundamental aspect of privacy is the ability to kill your child is that the most fundamental aspect of privacy I would think that the most fundamental thing uh, that privacy means is not having someone uh, constantly surveil you or to uh, imprison you. Um, I would think that is what the right to privacy means, if it means anything, not um, the people's ability to uh, stop bearing a child by killing the child. But that's what they decided to say. So I want to read a great quote, and this is from a book that uh, if you really want to dig into this, I would highly encourage. It's called Abuse of Discretion, The Inside Story of Roe versus Wade. It's by Clark D. Forsyth, uh, who works for Americans United for Life. Uh, this book came out, I don't know, about five years ago, uh, a little bit more. It's an outstanding book. It's uh, it's not too long. Uh, it's a couple hundred pages, but uh, it's it's very easy to read. And it gives you all the inside story of this. But I just want to read this kind of long quote about this sham of a decision in Eisenstadt versus Baird uh, that they could exploit. This is from the book. Quote, the justices, and this is from a, a, a biography of Justice uh, Harry Blackman, who was the one who wrote the decision in Roe versus Wade. Quote, the justices designed the precedent to suit the progeny. Justin, Justice William Brennan's draft of Eisenstadt, which was circulated months after oral arguments in Roe, was obviously crafted to apply in the abortion context. Noting that Brennan made the unnecessary assertion in Eisenstadt that the right to privacy entailed the right to choose whether to bear a child. Days after the court handed out Eisenstadt, Blackman worked a reference to it into a draft of Doe and later into Roe. Meanwhile, a federal court in Connecticut took the cue, declaring that Eisenstadt established a right to abortion. Justice Lewis Powell advised Blackman to follow the Connecticut court's reasoning, and Blackman ultimately did so, completing the daisy chain. That is a fix. That's a con job. So when the title of this podcast says con job, it was a con job. Anyone who wants to argue differently is dishonest or not intelligent. It's that simple. Anyone who wants to argue differently that Roe versus Wade is a legitimate decision is not being honest or is not intelligent or simply doesn't know these facts. Ignorant. And sadly, there's an awful lot of people who went to law school, who have Ivy League degrees, who are very intelligent, who either don't care to know or uh, don't care that this is what happened. So, you know, before we explain, you know, we're going to go and I'll explain to you very briefly the basic details of Roe and Doe, um, the, you know, the legal details, the facts of the case, but really they're entirely pointless. They don't matter. They wanted to do it and they did it because they thought they had the power to overwrite all these laws in all these states because they wanted to legalize abortion. Absolute abuse of power absolute abuse, corruption, any bad epithet you want to hurl at it, it's totally justified. They had to find an excuse and it just so happened that these cases were the most available excuse to do this. So Roe versus Wade was a case out of Texas uh, involving Texas abortion ban. The Roe of Roe versus Wade 
um, was Norma McCorvey, who passed away very recently. Um, the pro-abortion lawyers took advantage of Norma McCorvey. Uh, she later went on to express regret in her role. Uh, Norma was a very, very troubled person. Um, interestingly enough, she never actually had the abortion. So uh, there's a child out there um, who is, you know, about 50 now, um, is probably still alive, walking around totally oblivious to the fact that um, this decision was based on their existence and it's been used to snuff out the lives of another 60 million unborn children. Um, the Doe versus Bolton case was out of Georgia, involving Georgia's abortion ban and specifically um, some of the uh, measures required in order for uh, an abortion to take place and the very limited exceptions that Georgia had. Sandra Kano was the person who is the doe of that case, um, also taken advantage of, also uh, regretted the, her role in the decision. Both Norma and Sandra uh, at one point asked the Supreme Court to rehear their cases based on an update of the facts of course, the Supreme Court said no because the Supreme Court wants abortion to stay legal and the facts of the case, the law, the Constitution, you know, their oaths of office, ah, those things, they don't really matter. What's important is that unborn children continue to die every day um, with the legal blessing of the highest court in our land. Uh, both these cases were argued in tandem. They were decided in tandem. Uh, the decisions were released on January 22nd, 1973, 48 years ago this day. Uh, they were both 7-2 decisions, and so um, pretty big Supreme Court majority in both cases. Roe versus Wade specifically set up a trimester framework where it said in the first trimester, a state cannot uh, affect abortion in any way. In the second trimester, states can regulate abortion with some general health code points, but uh, there still is a broad right to abortion that the state can't restrict. In the third trimester, the court said the state can ban abortion, uh, but any such ban has to have a health exception. So I don't see anything about trimesters in any emanations of penumbra uh, in, the United, in the United States Constitution, but that's what they just decided as public policy. So what is a health exception? That's, what, that's where Doe versus Bolton comes in uh, because obviously they overturned abortion bans in Roe, so they use Doe to define health. And this is their definition of health in terms of abortion laws. Quote, the medical judgment may be exercised in the light of all factors, physical, emotional, psychological, familial, and the woman's age relevant to the well-being of the patient. All these factors may relate to health. Unquote. So uh, what does health mean? Any factor <clears throat> that relates to your well-being. Well, everything in your life re relates to your well-being, so health means anything. So the health exception means anything you want. So the Supreme Court said you can ban abortion in the third trimester, but you have to allow it for any reason. That doesn't make any logical sense. You can ban it, but you have to allow it for any reason because of that health exception. And to this day, uh, reporters and commentators on it continue to hide behind that definition of health. Uh, that's why most people don't know what Doe versus Bolton is. That's why they're never really going to talk about it. But you know now. So when they say, when they talk about abortion and say health, they don't mean a woman's life at risk. They mean any factor that affects her life, which 
is everything in your life. Now, uh, Roe versus Wade, uh, in one sense, isn't in effect anymore. It was revised in a case in 1992 called Planned Parenthood versus Casey. And what they did is they got rid of this gobbledygook trimester framework and adopted a uh, new test for any abortion law, and that is the undue burden test. And that, they decided, kicks in at viability. So even though viability is different for every child and is so slowly creeping back as medical technology improves, um, once a child can survive outside a womb, uh, the state can ban abortion as long as they have a health exception. <laughs> so uh, states can still ban uh, abortion, but they have to allow it for any reason. And then um, before viability, um, states can do more to regulate abortion than they could in Roe versus Wade. But um, this test says that the law can't create a substantial obstacle in the path of a woman seeking abortion before the fetus attains viability. So uh, in some sense, Planned Parenthood versus Casey was good for the pro-life movement because now Supreme Court said laws like parental consent before abortion, informed consent, 24-hour uh, waiting period, requiring abortion facilities to report abortion statistics, all those things um, are now constitutional. But however, Justice Anthony Kennedy in that 5-4 decision uh, chickened out, didn't overturn Roe versus Wade and upheld the basic right to privacy, including abortion, and created this undue burden test. Well, what's an undue burden? There's nothing in the Constitution about that. You know, what's an undue burden to you may not be an undue burden to me. So again, the judges claim for themselves the power of this gray area that becomes this bright line that only they can decide. So not you, you plebs, you people, you salt of the earth, not even your elected officials, no one, not even doctors, philosophers, no one can decide this except us. We know what this gray area is. And because of this trimester framework, this faulty definition of health, uh, this fix that was in the right to privacy, emanations, penumbras, it's all gobbledygook. And so it makes it very hard for people to understand it. Uh, it makes it very hard for reporters to understand it unless they dig into it. And for those that do, um, they don't really want you to think too hard about that. And, you know, this isn't just the pro-life movement talking. Here's two great quotes, and these are from pro-abortion liberal people. There's Lawrence Tribe talking about Roe versus Wade. Quote, one of the most curious things about Roe is that behind its own verbal smokescreen, the substantive judgment on which it rests is nowhere to be found. So that's uh, legal mind, Lawrence Tribe, saying Roe is not actually based on any legal principle. And yet it's super precedent in the minds of others. And Lawrence Tribe to this day wouldn't say overturn Roe. It's dishonest. How about this quote from uh, Will Salatan, who is a uh, pro-abortion journalist? Quote, Blackman's papers vindicate every indictment of Roe versus Wade, invention, overreach, arbitrariness, textual indifference, unquote. So any criticism that you can lob at Roe versus Wade, it's absolutely acceptable. But at the end of the day, Will Salatan still wants Roe versus Wade there and still wants it to be legal to kill unborn children. That's terrible. Someday Roe versus Wade and Doe versus Bolton are going to fall. <laughs> 
And when that day happens, you know, we're not going to be in a position of ultimate victory uh, because what's going to happen is now the states are free again to legislate on abortion and we're going to have to make the pro-life case in all 50 states. Eventually, we want to put a constitutional amendment in there that protects the unborn child. But until then, it's really critical for you to understand that Roe versus Wade is itself a crime and how it was decided, its dishonest nature. There is no legal judgment behind it. It was seven men deciding no mercy for unborn children. And so I just want to encourage you, if you're listening to this uh, on today, talk about this. And, and if you missed it and you didn't mention it, you know, don't let January 22nd go unremarked. Don't let these cases go uncriticized. You know, the, the most important, controversial, big policy argument in politics today, the issue of abortion, it's based on a lie. Don't let that lie go unchallenged. All right, that's all we have for this edition of Life Beat. Join us again next week for our monthly Faith in Life feature. Have a good weekend.